Join me as we skip to the end of a book. Not the ending of the story, but further in the back, almost by the back cover, The Acknowledgements. I've always been fascinated by The Acknowledgements and find myself asking questions I wish I had the answers to. Are the people they thanked still in their lives? Do they regret not including someone? What's the meaning behind this inside joke or story? Well, now I finally get the answers to my questions. In this podcast, I'll talk to the authors and explore the acknowledgements. So flip to the back of the book with me and let's start there. When I think of the reasons I read, it's to escape to a story, provide a connection, find new perspectives, or be an endless reader. The book, True Biz, checked all of those boxes for me. And I'm thrilled today to be joined by the author of True Biz, Sarah Novich. Hi, Sarah, and thank you for joining me today on The Acknowledgements. Thank you so much for having me. Now, Sarah and I use different languages to communicate in that I speak English and she uses ASL. With that, we are joined today by Kristen Steinmetz, an ASL English interpreter. So thank you, Kristen, for volunteering your time to interpret our conversation. So Sarah, I would love to start by asking you to share the premise of the book, True Biz. All right. So the book, True Biz, is about three students. They go to a, a deaf residential school and they escape one night. That's really the start of the story. Now, the book deals with a lot of stuff before and after and trying to figure out how it happened. So the book follows their stories, how they got to the school and the six months leading up to the escape. So we're really discussing what's happening in their lives and seeing how we lead to that event. Thank you. And one of the things that was so impactful for me reading this book is really being introduced to the deaf community and culture and issues and challenges and everything else related. And so that comes from everything to the title of the book, True Biz. So can you explain the origin of that phrase and why you decided to use it for the title of your book? True Biz, it means a few things. It can tra translate as real talk or like seriously. Or like, oh, I'm not even kidding. Seriously. Like that's the meanings of it. So when I'm writing the book, I'm not really thinking about the title. But for this book, it was a little bit different because I felt like in my gut, I kind of very quickly wanted to use that title, True Biz. I wanted deaf people to right away know that this was their culture, their book, a very just ASL thing that they connected with right away. And at the same time, I wanted hearing people to feel a little off kilter, confused and be like, what does that mean? And pique their curiosity. Now, when I was working with the publishers and the stores about the book, I felt a little bit uncomfortable because they were concerned about the title. What if they think this is a business book, they said. And I didn't think that was going to be an issue. But I think it shows that it's not for hearing people. It's from deaf people for deaf people. And I wanted to make sure there was accessibility for deaf and hearing people. So I wanted to make sure that deaf people felt ownership over this book and this story. So there's so a, a few things there that come to mind. One is it worked 
from a hearing person to I was waiting as I was going through the pages of what does true biz mean? And then when the book shared that and the characters shared that, I loved it because it was an example of how ASL is its own language, which was another lesson for me as a hearing person. I had never thought of it that way. And it reminded me of even my parents who speak an Indian language called Telugu. And there's a few words or phrases there that can't be explained in English with just a word or a phrase. And True Biz reminded me of that. And I have to share with you, I used it in speaking with my teenage son once because there was no other way in us trying to have this really honest, straightforward conversation. There was nothing I could think of in spoken English to use. So I explained this term of True Biz. So it was a learning experience for me. I think that's so cool. (laughs) I have so many questions. I'm going to jump to the acknowledgments, though. (laughs) So in the acknowledgments, you thank many people. But one person I'm curious about is you thank Herica Florence for her astute feedback toward an authentic representation of intersectional identity in our community. I actually started Googling Terika, and I saw that she's an advocate for the deaf community. And I'd love to hear about how you know her and why you decided to acknowledge her. So Terika, she's a Black death author. And while I was writing this book, I interviewed so many deaf people from all different backgrounds, uh, different races, different educational levels, different experiences growing up. So when I finished the book and I had all those interviews during my writing process, I gave that finished book to Terika and I asked her if she could really think about a way that I could have representation specifically and make sure that Black deaf people's experience was told honestly and represented in the book. So she really supported me and helped me figure out With her feedback, I wanted to make sure that the characters, Kayla, who is the roommate, was really using some Black ASL. And that's like a regional dialect, cultural dialect. And I wanted to make sure that was being represented faithfully. Thank you. And that was actually a really interesting part of the book is then learning that there's all of these subcultures and then also the issue of equity, and representation, even within the deaf community. So that brings me to the question of what has your experience been within the deaf culture and community? And how did that fit into the characters of your book? That was a big question. So my experience, I was born hearing. And so my hearing did get worse over time. And around middle school, I stayed in the mainstream educational environment. I think that way I felt related to the character of Charlie. You know, that was my experience going to a mainstream school, growing up around hearing people and feeling isolated. And I didn't know any other deaf people at that time. So I grew up a little bit not understanding a part of myself. Uh, A little part of myself was broken. It felt off compared to other normal people. And then later, 
when I met deaf people and started meeting more people like me, I realized I wasn't broken. I was just a different kind of person. So I think that experience really influenced the main character, Charlie, in the book. So when Charlie arrived at the residential school and realized things about herself, she realized, oh my God, people are like me. We've shared experiences. We understand each other. So now I have to figure out who I am as a person and not just who I am being deaf. Now around hearing people, that's your identity. That's your label, deaf girl. So when you go to a residential school where everybody is deaf, it means that you can figure out who you are and who you are inside. Thank you, Sarah. Did you ever have the opportunity to go to a residential deaf school? I was always mainstreamed. That's what happens with most deaf people today. They're mainstreamed in the hearing schools. So related to that, one of the most impactful pieces of the book, actually, I felt was also your author's note, which includes a list of the deaf schools that have closed. And I think seeing that made an impact in just knowing the consequences of that now and the implications of closing those schools. What do you think can change this and provide more equity for deaf children and their academic and social experience? I think we need to give parents deaf and deaf kids access to the appropriate information. When a deaf child is born, most of the times, 80%, 90% of the time, the parents are hearing. And the first time that they meet a deaf person might be their own baby. So then what happens is they go to the doctor and the doctor says, we can fix them. But the hearing technology, the implants, the hearing aids are powerful, but they just, it's not enough sometimes. They don't fix everything. They can support hearing, but they're not going to, they're not going to fix everything. They're not going to solve this problem of deafness. People think that they're going to put on a hearing aid, they're going to put on an implant and they're going to be quote unquote normal. But that's not what happens to most of these kids as they grow up. You shared in your acknowledgement a thank you to the students at deaf schools around the country who shared their stories and meals and dreams with me. What was that experience like going around and talking to those students? It was fun. It was so fun. <laughs> so when I finished writing my first book, I had the opportunity to go around and share with different residential schools and meet a lot of deaf children. So that was when I was discussing things with them. And I started to write about their stories and their important topics they brought up. And we were discussing why it's important for them to practice reading and practice writing. And there was an exchange there about how important that is. And I don't know, it was different than most events, I feel like, that I have to do as an author because... I can speak to them directly. I can connect to them directly in their culture and share their experiences and their language. And for this book, it was just even more fun, obviously, because I could really get into the deaf culture and, and the discussion of what's happening. So for example, when I discussed in the book with some deaf people, some deaf students of color in Ohio, I was discussing the book with deaf students and they were having an argument about who Charlie needs to meet, 
who Austin should be dating and which boy, like they were into the drama of the book. And I thought it was really fun that we could have this conversation with deaf characters and it might be the first time they see someone who looks like them and represents them in a book. It might be their first example of that in their lives. Interesting because seeing yourself in a book is something I think about a lot as someone that's South Asian. And I grew up in a place where there weren't a lot of South Asian characters that I could relate to. And it's been such a joy now to read books by South Asian authors with South Asian characters, where sometimes it's even just a little thing that I connect to. And there's been similar books and conversations I've had where it's been someone from the LGBTQIA community that has shared that, oh, I really felt connected to this book. It's the first time I saw myself in these characters. So that's what this reminds me of. But to me, this wasn't a community that I was necessarily thinking of that also needed a space. So I'm so glad you brought this book as a place where those that are part of the deaf community have something to connect to, but to bring awareness to people like me from this hearing world that haven't necessarily thought about this entire culture and community. And so on that note, I need to hear about the girls at St. Rita that you mentioned in your acknowledgement who snuck out of the dorm that night to chat without getting them in trouble. I mean, I'm sure they've graduated by now. <laughs> so my husband, he took a job in Ohio. So when we moved, it was a real culture shock for me. I mean, I just didn't know anyone there and I just felt weird and out of place. So compared to New York City, where we were before, or Philadelphia, Ohio was different. And I noticed that people weren't used to interacting with a deaf person as opposed to in a big city. So anyway, I started just, walking around and wandering at night. And then one night I passed this debt school and it was St. Rita's. And I just happened to notice there was a couple girls standing in a line and it was very obvious, you know, they were teenagers. And I feel like I was just like, they're up to something. I don't think we should be there. So we kind of made eye contact and they looked around real quick. I think they knew they were caught. And so I went up to them. I started talking with them. And yeah, we just started talking. I explained to them that I used to live in New York. And they were like, oh, that's so cool. I want to go to New York. So in that moment, I realized these deaf kids, they can be home anywhere as long as they have people and language, you know, socialization. You know, obviously, I'm not a teenager, but I was able to connect to them because I have that language. And right away, we felt like we were part of the same community. It felt like home. So it's just about finding community. I love that story. Those girls definitely thought they were in trouble. <laughs> yeah, they did. They really did. They didn't expect me. <laughs> One of the other things I love in the book is all these different relationships that the characters, the teenagers, have with their parents. There's Charlie on one hand with her hearing parents and this challenge of really connecting with them. And even that her mother and father have different viewpoints. And then on the other hand, there's Austin, who comes from this generational deaf family, which was a whole fascinating culture in itself. 
And so I was wondering about your own family. And in your acknowledgement, you thank them for always enthusiastically being on your side, even when your side was subject to change several times a day. And you also included in there, where's the beef? So that sounds like something I need to ask you about if it's not a super family secret. But I'd love to know what is where's the beef? And also about your relationship with your family. Okay. <laughs> this is so silly. I don't know how it even started. I think maybe my sister, two of us were in high school, maybe. And people would make fun of us and bother us. My mom would always go, you want me to beat him up? <laughs> so she's like, I can. You know, you know, I'm beefy. I can do it. So it just became like a joke. So we would just tease in the family. I mean, I think it goes back to the way we felt fully supported by our parents all the time. They were always there to support us. It didn't matter what. She was ready to, you know, put her fists up. But, or if, if we were wrong, didn't matter. She was ready to roll up her sleeves and always support us. Yeah. <laughs> That's that story. I'm definitely going to, along with True Biz, add where's the beef when speaking to my children. So they know I got their back. Yeah. Roll up your sleeves. Get ready. Get in there. As we've talked about, the lack of representation within the writing world when it comes to deaf authors, deaf characters, what was your experience like in the editing and publishing world and throughout all three of your books, really, because this is the one that's talking about deaf culture and community, but you have two very different books that you've written already. What has that experience been like? I think my first two books... I think it was a little bit more of usual, pub yeah, like usual publishing and like par for the course. I do have a really smart editor. She's awesome. And I'm very lucky. So those two books, I think they were more traditional. And I think the stories are more traditional in the process. And then for this book, I had already finished it, gave it to the editor and then we just kind of like handed it to the publisher, hoping for the best. But it was a little bit more of a struggle to definitely decide to, were we going to publish it? How are we going to display it? How are we going to sell it? Because there's not many books like this. And in the publishing world, one way they sell books is through comparison. So they can't say, oh, if you liked this, there's this. We didn't have that. So I think that made it a little bit hard. So, I mean, I had my editor support, which was good, and my manager. But there's still a lot of question marks about if and how we would be able to make it happen. Would people want to read it? Would people buy it? It was a big question mark. And then also the format of the book. It was tough. It's different because I do have some pictures in there. I have illustrations and tutorials and the way the dialogue is set up. You know, I have it in italics and set up when they're signing so that you know that that's happening, like a conversation and sign. So, you know, it depends on the page. They're not all going to look the same. So that was tough because people who make the books, they didn't know what was happening. Like, why are you setting it up like this? So that was more discussions than I had experienced with the other more traditional books. And that's one of the things that I loved about it is it's this fictional story, teenagers, first love, relationships. But then before you know it, you're also learning so much about the deaf community, culture, issues. 
and really an education also in ASL. And the audiobook was actually how I first listened to the book and read the book. And it was an interesting experience because I believe you actually signed portions of the book that were in conversation. Can you share what that process was like? Yeah. I'm always a little bit worried about audiobooks <laughs> because, I mean, for my book, because I'm an author and I'm finished with the book and, you know, it becomes something that I can't access anymore, kind of. Yeah. So it's strange that it goes into that medium I can't understand. And the first and second book, I was like, whatever, whatever happens, you guys take that and run with it. But for this book, I really, I woke up in the middle of the night. I, I was just thinking what I should be doing. I, I knew I should change it, but I didn't know how for this specific audiobook. So I started this crazy email and I sent it to my editor. I said, what are we going to do? We have to do the audiobook. Well, how are we going to include the conversations and the signing? So in the morning, uh, I was like, okay, <laughs> take a breath. And we had a meeting with the audiobook team at the publishing company. And they said, okay, like we have an idea. So we were like, okay, awesome. And they said, we can use the sound of sign in the book. And I said, okay, I, I don't think I understand. They said, we're going to send you a video. And so they sent me this video. It was some people signing. And I was like, okay. And I didn't understand what they were even proposing. And it's just like, oh, their bodies are making noises, you know, when they're signing. Their clothes are wrestling and you hear their hands slapping. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Good first step. So I don't even know what I thought then. So I, I was doubtful we could make it work at that point, but we just kept keeping at it. And it was obvious that we had to figure something out. So I decided to trust this team of people to make it accessible. So they had these three microphones and they told me to wear loud clothes. And I was like, okay. So they were, I was like, I need more information. I don't really know what you want me to do. So anyway, I get there to the studio and I sign all of the dialogue for the parts where the deaf ASL students were signing. And they used that noise and kind of put it underneath the dialogue. And people seemed to like it. <laughs> but I mean, it was a fun experience for me because I would never be involved in an audiobook process, obviously. <laughs> and it was fun to change the dialogue and kind of be in control of what's happening there. And when I was sitting and writing the book, I was really picturing the dialogue in ASL. So when I had to change it to the English, that was hard for me. That was a whole process. And then changing it back to ASL again, like when I was signing, I don't know. That was more fun. All I'm thinking about is you looking through your closet and looking for loud clothes. <laughs> yeah, I brought four shirts with me. <laughs> I said, which one is the loudest? So tell me what's next for you in terms of writing and life. I know. I believe you're still, are you still a professor or you're within, you're doing, you're in some kind of educational capacity still. So tell me more about what's going on and what's next. Yeah, right now I'm teaching two courses. One of them is a graduate course for creative writing and one is an undergrad class for deaf studies. Both are fully online right now. They're virtual. 
So that's a real mind shift, trying to figure out how to make that work for me. You know, I have to learn how to teach in a different way with this technology. But some of it's been cool because it's a way that they make things more accessible sometimes. So I am enjoying that part of my life right now. I always love teaching. I'm also working on a new book. So this new book that I'm writing right now, it's nonfiction and it's going to be a combination of history and memories. And so that's what I'm working on now. And I also have two sons right now. One is deaf and one is hearing. So part of the book is writing about the experiences having a hearing son. He's a quota now, a child of a deaf adult. So his first language is going to be ASL as a hearing person. And then I have a deaf son. Well, he's adopted. He grew up in an orphanage from birth to four. So he's a little bit limited in language right now. And he's really catching up fast. So this book is also going to be including letters to each of my boys about different topics, different experiences and raising them and the ways that we are all different from our parents sometimes. And that's what it deals with. What's their relationship like between your sons? They are obsessed with each other. (laughs) (laughs) It is so funny because my hearing son, you know, he's just talks all day long. He can't stop talking all day. He's just chatting. And then my other son, obviously he's deaf and he's a little limited. He's catching up with language every day, but he's really skilled in like climbing and being outside and playing and sports. And my other son has no interest in that. (laughs) But somehow the two of them are just so connected. They just want to be together all day. It's so funny. I love that. So I had asked you to share one of your favorite passages or paragraphs or pages. So I'm going to read the part that you had shared. So it starts, and uh, for anyone that wants to catch, this is on page 168. What is that? She said. She fingers spelled emphatically. Question marked her eyebrows. Austin understood first. With a flash of recognition, he scrunched up his face and gave her a scolding finger wag. Finger wag, he said. Charlie was disappointed. So is an am and are just weren't? How could a language exist without so fundamental a concept? Perhaps, she thought grudgingly, her mother and doctors were right about the limitations of signing. Could you have a real language without the notion of being? But Austin just pointed to Charlie's hand, then made his own gesture, sweeping up from his stomach, out into an arc across the room. Charlie copied the sign, but that didn't seem to be what he wanted. She stared. Me, said Austin, pointing to himself. He patted his chest, then his arms, and held out his hands, flexed his, flexed his fingers before her. You, he said. He took her by the wrist and held her own hands out before her. She looked down at her palms and understood her being was implied, her potential thoughts and feelings coursing through her body, the names of everything she knew and those she didn't yet, all in perpetual existence in her fingertips. 
felt like a lot of pressure to read your beautiful word. That was- <laughs> I mean, you're already better than me. <laughs> Tell me why you picked this page, this passage. I think this is a big moment for Charlie in the book. And she starts to realize that what you said before, I mean, English, it's not English on your hands. It's a different language. And she already has that language inside of her as a deaf person. So I think that's an important realization for her and an important part of her story. And it's something that hearing people in general, you know, hearing students will ask me about ASL and they start to understand. They want to know, how do you sign is? How do you sign are? But it's not about changing and doing a word-for-word translation. It's not how it works. You have to completely change your mindset to change things into ASL grammar and ASL signs. I think that part's really important. When I was writing that part, I think because a lot of students ask me that. They say, show me this, tell me this, and they don't understand that it's not a one-for-one copy. I think that's actually one of the best parts of American Sign Language. It forces you to use your body in a different way. The way that we're used to using our body, just standing and kind of standing behind our words. Now we can have more impact with our hands. I mean, I tend to be a shy person, but with ASL, I'm forced get out of my shell and really use my full body in expressing myself. I think that's what's so tremendous about this book is it, at least for me, made me look at the world in a different way. And one of the things I wanted to share was when I was driving around recently, I saw one of those yellow deaf child area signs and you know, it was my whole life, but it was the first time now that I looked at it in a different way and thought about that child and what their experience might have been and the pride that they may have in their own deaf culture and community and curiosity about what their academic experience is like and what their life will be like. So that's what this book did for me, which is, at least for me, that, that felt like a big deal. That's awesome. I'm I'm really happy that it did that for you. And I hope it continues to influence your thinking and readers thinking when they finish the book. Thank you so much, Sarah. I really appreciate you joining me on the acknowledgments today. And thank you, Kristen, for making sure that we could have a conversation. Thanks for getting curious about the acknowledgments. And remember to read from cover to cover. Check out the acknowledgments on Facebook, Instagram, or theacknowledgments.com. There you'll find more information on the books and authors that I talk about here.